0: Hello, welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. I'm David Wheatley, and we're here to talk all things leadership. My guest this week is Liz Winninger, who is the CEO of Extend, which is a credit union service organization. So welcome, Liz.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you for being here. I normally start by asking my guests to get, just give us a 30 second bio of how you got to where you are.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that can be very long for some people. Um, <laughs> it's like that interview question, like, tell me about yourself. Um, well, I, I live here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is where our QSO is based out of. Um, I'm from Wisconsin and Minnesota. I went to the University of Minnesota and got my undergraduate in kinesiology very far from what I do today, which is in the financial industry. Um, I've been a figure skater and a figure skating and hockey coach for the past 25 years. Um, I love doing that, I enjoy it a lot and I've done it everywhere I've moved to. I've been able to um, move around a bit in my life and I'm lucky that I've found some homes that I can coach at. And I have landed here in Grand Rapids, Michigan about uh, eight years ago. Um, working for Extend and under the tutelage of Scott Collins, who was our president at the time, I um, was promoted to CEO of Extend when he went on to do his next life. Um, and here we have about um, six different organizations that are cooperatively driven, and we work really closely together for credit unions to be able to disrupt the marketplace, whether it's cost, access. Um, even just resources that they wouldn't be able to have or just can share easily among one another.
0: Okay. I, I love the, the comparison of figure skating and ice hockey. Uh, one seems so delicate and the other one seems so violent. And uh, so I'd be interested. In, we, we had to talk another day about how you coach between those two things. But so yeah. you're a credit union service organization. Many people will be familiar with what a credit union does and is. What's a CUSO
1: A CUSO is a credit union service organization. Um, There are several different types of them, and you are designated, you need to be designated as a CUSO. Um, And basically, it's just a few regulatory pieces, like um, over 50% of your revenue needs to come from credit unions. Um, We are proud here at Extend to be made the way that we are, which is very similar to a co op. Um, we have one owner, one vote. So our 90 owners each have equal ownership. Nobody owns more than anyone else. Um, a lot of our partners operate that way because it's so close to a credit union, which really helps us to be able to understand the choose the credit union walk-in every day and live by the seven cooperative principles, which if people aren't aware, um, range from a democratic um, regulatory body to open membership to, um, really when you expand on it a little bit, uh, it's making sure that you are giving back to the community that you serve and that you can do that in many different ways. And credit unions, for example, will have very low rates on their loans. CUSOs can do it in many different ways. We have returns to our owners. And then we also um, make sure that for extend it's it's access to resources that they wouldn't typically have if they were potentially going it alone. Um, originally it started off as very, some would say small credit unions, which we try not to talk about credit unions and small and large, but smaller credit unions getting them access and we are a people company. So most of my products all center around people like call center, marketing, bookkeeping. Um, And as you can imagine, pandemic hits. Um, We're in a really unique position to help people out because a lot of people couldn't be in the workforce due to many things or credit unions were um, struggling there. So about 20 years ago, it's 2002, uh, five credit unions put $5,000 into a hat and they said, we believe in shared resources when it comes to working with people and we wanna see what we can do. There really wasn't a business plan around it. It was just, we know that we need something here. They also wanted to have a voice in something that they were building and very realistic, obviously price point. So for these credit unions to say, we want a a seat at the table. We want to have control over an organization and um, the direction that it's going to go, but, but um, we don't have the money for a real investment. So we're going to invest our, our, um, our think power, and we're going to invest our time. More than our money. So that's how Extend was founded. And today we are um, doing very well. Um, we were, were lucky we have some really great partners that give us access to technology, which cuts down on cost. And that technology is actually owned by our owners. So they're not paying uh, a fee. So, really long answer to what's <laughs> a so, but
0: that's right. how we knew um, about it's, it's a great answer to because the uh, humanities does, does a lot of work in the credit union world and yeah. i think one of the reasons we do is cuz we we fit in that world that uh, those principles that uh, are democratic and member owned rather than being shareholder owned at the uh, and it's all about making money it's all about serving the member in the credit union world, and all the credit union service organization is, is bringing credit unions together to be able to better serve the member That's right. uh, and, and through select services. So, so you work with credit unions all over the country. And I've said country, I was looking to see if I was going to get corrected and say, and you were going to say world there, but all over the country uh, to provide extra services that they maybe wouldn't be able to tap into, at least at the value that you offer if they were going alone.
1: Yeah, one of our biggest value props that we always hang on to, not just disruptive pricing, because if you're only going after price, then you kind of lost sight of the value. And sometimes that can hinder the product that you bring. But we, we really talk about more creating access for people and creating expert resources. So even like billion dollar institutions, billion dollar credit unions, we work with them because they just don't have and they don't need someone in their organization who has a very unique specialty in a certain marketing area right. so some of our training focuses on that too it's really all about uh, everything that we do for um we've we've been able to build a very unique network that truly somehow without having to sign a contract truly believes in the movement of credit unions and the the, the so it's called the credit union movement it, that's been around for about 40 years. Um, and we each, we each benefit in one way or another, absolutely financially or otherwise. But also we know that if one of our credit unions or one of our QSOs wins, we all win because it creates more access for us in one way or another. If you think about either uh, business wise, financially, operationally, and all, all those aspects. So it really opens the door. So credit unions are truly like the, the place for collaboration. Um, I think it's unique because when you look at community banks, well, they're owned by stock stake, they're owned by their uh, just a private ownership, not by their members. This is something that they've missed out on because they don't have that to their core that they need to band together because it really benefits all community banks. And you start to see it a little bit more these days, but. That's something that our uh, that credit unions globally have been able to do.
0: And I think it's interesting, the principles you mentioned, I think, in some forms are called the Rochdale principles, uh, which started the cooperative world. And Rochdale, the city or the town, is just about an hour and a bit from where I grew up. So uh, oh, nice. you know, it's, it's good to see that that's um, it's, it's on the west side of the country, but we won't talk about that as a different whole different argument. But uh, the Rochdale principles will de- say, hey, this is what a cooperative is really about. And credit unions are cooperatives and credit union service organizations are cooperative as well. And um, and so you're, you're in this world that is really built around a greater good working connection with folks. Yeah, yeah. So And reduces yeah. the kind of competitive, self-focused uh, way of operating which is yeah. one of the reasons why it's interesting for those that have read what great teams do great and see where that fits in with, uh, why what humanity believes in. Um, the other thing that uh, is interesting about credit unions, that uh, about 80% of a credit union staff in the U S is female. Yeah. And, and I know you're a big, uh, a big part of the global women's leadership network, which is a credit union, uh, based, uh, affinity group. So, and tell us a little bit more of that. So if, if it's 80% of a credit union's people are female, I'm assuming 80% of their CEOs are female too.
1: Yeah, that's not, that's not, <laughs> that's not accurate. Um, it is getting better. It is, uh, there is more representation of females and um, really diverse groups at the top. Um, and we're seeing that a, a, really that movement happen over the past few years. Uh, but that, that hasn't always been the case. Um, and what global, it's its a perfect timing for the question I was asked yesterday by uh, Global Women's Leadership Network is run by the World Council of Credit Unions, which helps with the, the movement and bringing financial services to um, areas in need. And and where, whatever that might mean. So we have some very cool initiatives that they have worked on over the years, um, building in areas that, um, especially for global women's, we've built even like business development um, facilities that women could go to and learn how to de- develop their own business that was in Nepal. Um, but for, for yesterday I was asked, uh, If Global Women's was never created and never would happen in the future, what were some of the things that you would miss out on? And for me, I thought that was a really great, great question, because I think sometimes you can be a part of an organization and you know what the purpose is and you kind of keep driving, but you forget the the things that it brought you value. And by doing so, you then can bring it more value because I wasn't in the position I am now when I first joined Global Women's. I'm lucky that um, Jodi Carnes from Steve Answers, she's a brilliant lady who brought me along um, and brought me into the Global Women's Leadership Network where I was able to meet other women who had very similar attributes as I do. And in the past, I hadn't seen that representation before. And I didn't know how um, maybe not how to carry myself, but to be proud of some of those attributes that could be called stubborn, Pushy, alpha, you know, other words that I don't want to get you banned from your platforms for saying. Um, but so you, I was able to meet all these women. And in doing so over the years, I then could meet their network of women or men who have helped, who truly, like, I would not be the CEO of this company if it weren't for um, some of the, the things that I was able, the people I was able to meet along the way and learn from.
0: So what's one or two key lessons you've learned from that, from, specifically for a, a female leader in the organization? What's a couple of things you, you've really garnered?
1: Well, I think the one of the most important, the first lesson, um, and I talk to people about this quite often, is um, it's not about me being a female. And I don't mean to belittle the importance of being a representative as a female. That is important, that I represent a leader as a female, for sure. But I think the first thing was, um, if you believe that you got the job because you are a female, you're gonna have some issues with imposter syndrome or uh, confidence issues. Because imagine being chosen just because of an attribute that you had no control over, So, so recognizing your strengths and why you got the job or why you, um, are who you are and you're a value to your organization, I think is the most important part. Um, so that's what I've learned really, because it used to tick me off pretty much when someone was like, Oh, it's so great to see a female, you know, among a lot of men, because I, all my peers are men, um, where I am.
0: So it's really a matter of, I I got the job because I'm good enough to get the job. And by the way, I happen to be female as well.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So that's number one. Um, Number two, I'd say, um, really is like, it's to recognize. And again, it's important to have that somebody in your life, people in your life who represent something that you want to be. So I have women that like Jodi, for instance, that I would watch how she carried herself. I'd watch how she guided a room and she was a ball buster for sure but she owned that and she was respected for that so i'd say the second thing is also um having people around you whether they're in your organization or not in your organization that you surround yourself that can be that representative and it's not always females either sometimes it's men that you say that's the style that i use too and i'm going to own it just like they do
0: right so it's a hey i got the job because I'm capable, it's not just a gender thing. Surround myself with people that I can can tap into and, and learn from, uh, and then really develop the skills that work for you.
1: Yeah, it always makes me think of Strength Finder 2.0, you know how it really encourages um, to play to your strengths. Um, diversity isn't really, diverse, and I don't wanna get in trouble for this, but diversity isn't always about having the token person at in a role it's what those people bring because of being who they have been over those years so um just being a female I've experienced certain things that my male counterparts have not just like they've experienced things that I haven't so sitting at a table with them that diversity whether it's or or even just political beliefs kind of brings brings to the table um enough different perspective that you can really build a stronger organization around Mm -hmm.
0: so so it's just like um like anything i always say if you you're a leader and you surround yourself with people who are just like you in every way you don't need them get rid of them because you've already got that thinking it's the value of bringing the different perspectives and and i like what you're saying is and i bring different perspectives and on top of that by the way i'm a woman so let's not put the woman piece first let's Put the capabilities piece first. Yeah. In what you're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm nine months pregnant right now. I'm definitely a woman. I'm experiencing, you know, all the things that come with that nine months pregnant. And I will not react well if somebody does try to say something about hormones or anything that come along with being nine months pregnant. However, I realize like this is this is I'm making a child in my body. A man. Um, whether they want to or not, obviously couldn't do that. So, you know, you got to recognize it, but you also don't need that to be the first thing that you bring to the table. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I I think, uh, in a recent conversation you and I had, if someone were to suggest you were making a decision based on the hormones, I think they would probably get the wrath of Liz on the backside of that.
1: Yeah. I recently had someone say something like that. And uh, my response was not (laughs) very, um, tender (laughs) to them. (laughs) Um, I don't think they'll ever do that, make that mistake again with any other pregnant female.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's the other interesting dynamic. If, if your 80% of your workforce is female and a great number of that in the credit union world is between 25 and 35, then uh, I worked it out one day that on average, 10% of a credit union staff are pregnant. Yeah, um, that's... Uh, uh,
1: probably extremely accurate yeah
0: (laughs) well i keep saying that to people and they do the mental calculation and say oh yeah that's about right (laughs) so yeah um,
1: i don't know if anyone's ever put it that way and and if you think about it like just like the pandemic has taught us like if you know that that is happening you should probably build part of what your company is you know your maternity leaves and um grace grace that you might give a new mom uh, you should probably build that into your organization so it's a really good point
0: so well and I hadn't intended this question but since you've let the cat out of the bag I'm going to ask another question that so female CEO uh, nine months pregnant uh, what are some of the things that you're considering as you go into because you're going to take some time off to have the baby you're not going to have it at that desk hopefully and um, what are some of the things that you're considering there that are, are challenging as you go because this is number two as well so yep. uh, that are, are challenging you as you go into taking some time to focus on the important stuff
1: well when i got pregnant the first time um and even the second time what hap- you get you get scared because for your career because there is well there's laws around it and whatever you could think that somebody might discriminate against you and you might have less opportunity because you're pregnant and you're going to go through this time in your life where you can't focus a hundred percent on work. Um, not that that should be what you do all the time anyway, but I was really scared when I, the first time I got pregnant, I thought that it would, I thought that it, you know, I thought my board would be upset or I, I don't know how I thought they would react. You know, I, I considered at the time I didn't have a contract and I thought maybe that would, Stall negotiations or something, and it absolutely did not. My board was so over the top happy for me. Um, having most of them having children of their own, they knew that feeling of uh, being pregnant and expecting, and all the joys that can come with that. Um, my one of my mentors just said to me, which was the, probably the hardest person to talk to when I first that I thought to deliver the news to, and he put it the best when he said, you know, billions of women get pregnant all the time and it's going to be okay. Don't try to be superwoman. Mm-hmm. Of course you don't listen to everybody who's like, "Oh, things are going to change. You don't have to be superwoman." Um you still try to do all the things that you did before. Um and you can do them all. It's just you you find different ways to compartmentalize your life and to be a good mom and and be there. So That was, that was the biggest concern I had when I first got pregnant.
0: Well, my guess is it goes back to one of the things you said earlier as well, is that you can do the job. Yeah. And so you're going through your head, oh, I'm pregnant now. Am I going to lose my job and all that kind of stuff? And I I guess in some places that's quite a possibility, unfortunately, still today. But in your case, it was, I got this job for a good reason. The people know that I'm planning and prepping. The people know I've got great folks in behind me who are going to be capable of taking care of stuff. And I'm going to come back even better for the fact that I'm now a double mom.
1: Absolutely, I think also um, my empathy has changed for my employees and understanding the positions that they're in from time to time, especially during the pandemic. And I think empathy is very underrated by people. It, people can confuse that with being too sympathetic, um, but really, it's knowing how knowing someone's perspective and walking in their shoes. So have being a mother i think has made me a better employee a boss to people a leader as you would say not a boss a leader to people um and i and i think that my staff it was it's been really fun like i came in the other day you were here um i came out of my office and it's all decorated with baby stuff and they're trying to pick out baby names and they take care of me anytime i walk by they're just concerned about me so Um, It makes you, you know, human because you're going through the stuff that they went through too.
0: Well, I think that's another lesson though, isn't it? That transparency, the openness, the vulnerability connects you with your people. And so they will care a little bit more and they'll take the extra step. And I I love the way it was all been set up because the team is celebrating this rather than it being a matter of, oh, you're going off to do something and maybe you'll come back. It's a celebration. It's part of the organization because you've engaged them in what's happening?
1: Yeah, um, the first, and, and then it, just thinking back on your question, the first time around, I totally could have trusted my staff way more than I did. I had the doctor write a note that said, Liz can start working the minute the baby comes out. Like, you, you, have a doc, you have to get a doctor's note to come back to work. I already turned that note in and I said, nope, I'm gonna start working immediately. And that's not healthy for anybody. That's not healthy for me. That's not healthy for my employees. So this time around, really trusting that I have set my team up to be successful. Um, When I talk about the things I need to get done before I go on maternity leave, all of those things just need to get done at some point in our business anyway. And if I were to say to my team, I need you to take the ball on this, it won't be done the same way I would, which can create a little bit of anxiety, but it would be done really well because I have a very diverse perspectives on my team and they would work together to beat up the project to make it where I would have gone with it as well or better probably better than I would have gone with it so um, really like walking the talk and trusting my team not only for me it's not about me it's about them knowing that I completely trust that they will get it done in my absence. And that's been, we've done exercises. We have a short-term contingency plan that we've created that helped us think through some of the little questions that you might not think about. So that helped a lot um, for both them and I. But um, that's like, I'd say the second piece is really trusting that I've um, I've got some real smart people around me who I hired to be as smart as they are. Mm -hmm. And I don't need... I don't need to guide them all the time. That's that's not
0: There's, where we're at. Well, that's a, that's a, another great lesson. Isn't it? You surround yourself with smart people and let them go at it and give them opportunity. It might not be perfect, but they'll certainly keep the ball going. Well, you go take care of what you need to take care of. Mm-hmm. So, and the opportunity will perhaps show some stars, and and show some opportunity as well. Yeah. So, wonderful, Liz. Thanks for joining us today, and I really appreciate sharing. And all the best in the next few weeks. And, um, in fact, this will probably go out just after, uh, so you'll be able to sit at home with fresh baby in your arms and, uh, and listen to what you've been saying. So awesome. thank you very much for joining us today and, uh, and all the best.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much, David.
0: You've been listening to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. I'm David Wheatley, and we're brought to you by the book, What Great Teams Do Great, available now at all good bookstores. Thanks to Brian Spencer and Finkel for the music. Please share any feedback and suggestions. I'm available through humanity.com, And uh, go to iTunes, like, subscribe, and leave us a review so that other people can find us. In the meantime, until next time we meet, stay healthy.